Every play, every musical, begins with some writer putting words on a page. Hello, and welcome to Stagecraft, the Broadway radio podcast that talks to playwrights and musical book writers about the shows they've created. My name is Jan Simpson, and my guest this week is Katori Hall, who's delicious in every sense of that word, new play, The Hot Wing King, is currently running in a signature theater production at the Pershing Square Signature Center through March 22nd. Hello, Katori Hall. Welcome to Broadway Radio. Hi, thanks for having me. Now, as you may know, it's our custom to start off these conversations with a brief description of what the play is about. So would you tell our listeners what The Hot Wing King is about? So Hot Wing King follows a couple um, named Dwayne and Cordell as they are preparing for the annual Hot Wing Festival down in Mrs. Tennessee, what I call it. It's about how this family, you know, definitely family and friends come together over this weekend to prepare, but a relative of Dwayne's ends up needing help. And so it brings the the kind of underlying conflicts that are uh, still unresolved in Dwayne and Cordell's relationship into sharper relief. Um, A lot of people call it a dramedy because it definitely has, you know, a wonderful mix of of lighter, hilarious moments, but, you know, it deals and delves into some deeper issues as well. So where did you get the idea for this play? So the thing is actually inspired by my brother and his partner. Um, they actually own a barbecue place down oh. in Memphis, Tennessee, instead of a, but I love hot wings. So. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to focus on hot wings. And that's the thing, you know, when you're imagining, you, you know, you're using your experience, your imagination, your observation to create something new. And so, you know, I have been a witness to their love. I've been a witness to their struggle and Hot Wing King is a love letter uh, to them and to other members of the LGBTQIA community. Was the decision from the beginning to make this an all-male play? Uh, It's interesting. I guess I did want it to be an all-male play because I really wanted to focus on this definition of of masculinity and to to kind of unpack manhood you know it's it's not just about the you know uh, a group of characters there is uh i would say Dwayne's uh nephew comes into the fold and the nephew's father comes into the fold and so it actually also deals with fatherhood and and what it means to be responsible for you know a child in in the play we begin we realize that Dwayne's sister passed and and actually she was killed during a kind of um, breakdown. She was having a breakdown and and the police came in and unfortunately um, the police killed her. So there's like, uh, this play even deals with police brutality. And so it's really how this family kind of comes together beyond, you know, Hot Wings is the container for it, (laughs) but it's, it's really about, you know, how we kind of nurture each other and shore each other up and, and what an extended family is about and what an extended family is supposed to do for one another in times of need. Mm-hmm. Now, I've read some people making comparisons with uh, Mark Crowley's The Boys in the Band. We just lost um, uh, Mark Crowley this week. And I wonder, did you have that play 
at all in mind as you were writing this. Mm-hmm. So it, I have heard about this comparison to Boys in the Band. I've never seen it. I've never read it. <laughs> so I, I personally think it's certain critics' inability to um, really understand intersectionality of being black and gay the fact that they have to compare it to something else that exists is is interesting to me and to me is really more about that particular critic versus what the play is actually really doing i'm i'm actually not really influenced by uh, white gay male plays i'm influenced by my brother i'm using my own experience my own observation my own imagination um, reflect a community that I, I feel is still marginalized. I, I don't see many care, uh, rather, I don't see many plays about gay black men on on American stages. I don't see them on Broadway. And so for me, it was more about um, feeling that hole, which I think, you know, there's a, there's a scarcity uh, that needs to be dealt with. Well, you also made some really interesting choices as you put this uh, play together, uh, mm-hmm. not just in terms of centering around this this uh, issue of black masculinity, as seen partially through the lens of this gay couple, but you mm-hmm. also touch on some really serious issues that might have been the entire focus of some other plays about black or gay people, but you don't dwell on Mm -hmm. them. There's Cordell's uh, coming out, the the challenges Mm -hmm. he has. There is, as you talked about, Dwayne's sister's uh, death. As you were thinking about the play and putting it together, Mm -hmm. how did you balance those, those elements? How did you decide how much to go, how much to hold back? Well, for me, the play is about containing the spectrum of the human experience. And I feel as though within a day, you can be laughing and you can be crying. Yes, there are these very complicated issues that the characters are dealing with. You know, like you said, Cordell's coming out could have been its own play. But for me, it's, it's about how we as black folks, how we as just human beings deal with, you know, the baggage of our past, you know, these the heavy emotional things, even depression, and still survive and be resilient and laugh. I always say for black people, laughter is a revolution. Within the frame of the American stage, oftentimes people want us to always deal with our trauma. And yes, that is a very important part of the African-American experience. But I think we just don't get that many opportunities to just see us being who we are and loving and being tender and 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 having a sense of humor and and taking care of one another. And so for me, that's the really revolutionary thing that we're doing um, at Signature Theater, where it's like, yes, these people are dealing with some heavy, heavy stuff. The fact that, you know, the, the sister died because of police brutality, the fact that Cordell's sons have like almost disowned him. They were, they're refusing to speak to their father. But in spite, despite all of those things, they are able to move forward and create and hold space for joy. I would say that the play is this really beautiful visual articulation of black joy, black love, and more importantly, black boy joy, which we don't get an opportunity to see that much on the stage. I think something else uh, you put on the stage that we 
don't necessarily see a lot is that these are middle class folks. Yeah, yeah, very. <laughs> uh, these are these are not poor, struggling black people. These are just regular middle class uh, people. And was that intentional as well? Yes, but I also feel as though there's a spectrum that's represented on mm-hmm. the stage. You know, you do have T.J. Uh, uh, Dwayne's nephew's father, who is struggling on the streets and is a hustler and you know you see him coming into that black middle class utopia and it's it's a very aspirational home you know the fact that they have the i call it the chip and jojo kitchen the what (laughs) kitchen I call it the Chip and JoJo uh, kitchen. I don't know if you watched that show, Fixer Upper. That was like my thing that I would do to relax. <laughs> um, my HGTV. Like, there's, there's that couple who they really take care of their home. And, you know, there is a huge black middle class. But I think it's very important to show that there's a spectrum and that, oh, we are all kind of inextricably linked, whether you're poor and black or middle class and black or rich and black. We're all connected. We have that kinship um, when it comes to that skin. And so uh, I do feel as though it's super important to show that these people exist and these people, um, they have their jobs. They, they go on their vacations. You know, there's this one little uh, clip that Cordell says, like, yeah, we got this on our last missionary uh, trip to, to Uganda. Like, they, they're worldly. Mm-hmm. Um, and those those people exist. And, you know, they uh, some people, you know, say they're just regular I just feel like they're just being human mm-hmm. um and so I really wanted to represent all that this one can be black over um the many ladders in, of the socioeconomic system now the night that I saw the show the audience was really involved particularly uh, yeah <laughs> particularly during one uh scene and I'm not go- gonna spoil that um, what it was, but I uh-huh. wonder, did you intentionally create a space for this kind of audience participation? And I don't mean, you know, anybody's asking the audience to do anything, uh-huh. but where uh-huh. the audience is almost in a sense, a part of the conversation. Absolutely. So I always say, I've said to the actors, the audience is your seventh scene partner. They're going to respond, and they should. And sometimes they don't respond. Sometimes, you know, it, it, they're, they're super quiet because they're listening in a different mm-hmm. way. But the play really does welcome call and response. <laughs> yeah. um, laughter, people talking, people clapping. We did think about how we have to be listening all the time for how the audience is is listening and reacting to the play. And sometimes the play is four minutes shorter because, you know, people are like more quiet. Mm-hmm. But then when they're really, really talking back to the actors, like there's this one moment where, you know, they're singing Luther Vandross. We've had people get up and start dancing. It's crazy, <laughs> but I love it. I love it. And I I think it's because the audience is, is changing. I love the fact that I'm I'm coming into that theater and the people that are that we're representing on stage are being represented in the house. Oftentimes, mm-hmm. that that hasn't happened to me in my career. Sometimes, you know, I'll have a play that has black folks in it, but there'll only be white people in the audience, and 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 that's been a frustrating thing because I I feel as though the American theater has been uh, a little lazy when it's 
when it's come to developing audiences of color, whether it be black or, or Southeast Asian or whatever. But I feel as though the more we have these opportunities to, to put these stories that will draw that community in, you know, the better the, um, the, the reflection uh, will be. Because I really feel as though it's a mirror. Uh, the American stage is a mirror and, you know, in order for people to come into those seats, into those houses and feel comfortable, we have to um, make sure that their stories, their narratives are being reflected. You brought up one thing that I was going to try to edge around, but you brought up the Luther Vandross uh, song that uh-huh. has, at least the night I saw it, one of the most joyous moments in the, the, the show. You wrote that song into the script. Did you worry at all about getting the rights to it or the ability of theaters yeah, we have to the do rights to it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we will, we will, we will be in. Uh, we have already um, had that conversation with them for this production, and so my hope is that um, the "Never Too Much" song will mm-hmm. be permanently baked into um, the show. You know, there's a lot of understanding in the black community that Luther Vandross was gay, mm-hmm. um, that he was in the closet, and because um, he had reached a certain amount of success, did not come out, um, because he was known as this, you know, sexy, sexy R&B <laughs> crooner making all these love songs. And so to have these um, these black gay men who are out, who are comfortable in their sexuality, honoring um, someone um, who's passed kind of like a patron saint of gay black men um, who was not able to live his life as fully is is a way to uh, um, pay homage to not only um, other people's struggle, but specifically his struggle in having to stay in the closet due to um, society's constraints on gay black men, particularly within the entertainment industry. It's so perfectly used in the in the play and in that scene. Did you consider other songs or did you just know this was the song? No, it had to be Luther. I just knew it had to be Luther. And I was like, never too much is the one. We grew up on that song. This is really a part of um, a coming of age for black folks, whether no matter where you live in America. And so I really wanted to... Um, yeah, embrace that and, and have black audiences in particular have a point of reflection. It's, all, it's like comfort food, right? It, it makes mm-hmm. you think of home. It makes you think of your upbringing. And so, you know, fingers crossed that I'll be able to, you know, permanently attach that song um, to the show. But um, it, I agree. It's, it's one of the most joyous moments in the show. The guys love to perform it. I, I hope you can tell. <laughs> And although you say, which is true, it has a particular resonance in the black community, I have to say when I saw, I saw a lot of white heads swaying back and forth. Yes. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure. Yes. Luca, I have a, a couple of, of, of other questions that I will admit are a little silly, but I'm going to go ahead with them. Is there a real hot wing contest? There is, there is. So now it's turning championship, and it's going to be April 25th in, in Memphis, Tennessee. As a matter of fact, um, they just did a write-up of the play. Um, if, if you go on online um, on their website, uh, you'll see like a little write-up about the uh, about us on have, there. Have but you yeah, ever gone? I haven't. I just heard about it, but this is the year that I'm going to go. I decided, <laughs> you know, coronavirus be damned. <laughs> <laughs> 
And where did you come up with Cordell's recipe? Because because there are real recipes named in the show. There's some real uh-huh. cooking going on in the show. Where did yeah. you come up with the recipe that he enters in the contest? So I I just was like, what most gourmet esque version of hot wings that I can think of. And so <laughs> I had started taking cooking classes. So I learned how to make Alfredo sauce from scratch and, and like being able to infuse things. And so I was like, I'm going to put all these things that I would love to have on my taste buds into this <laughs> um, recipe. And so we ended up, I think the first, when was the first time that we cooked it? And we were like, wow, Cordell was going to win this competition. (laughs) It is so good. And they do cook it every night on stage. We see that group come together and and make this amazing recipe. The the spicy Cajun. um, Oh, oh, I'm forgetting my recipe. Bourbon infused crumbled crumbled bacon. bacon. (laughs) Yes. You 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 say you made this play as a love letter for your brother and his partner. Have they seen it? Yes, they came on opening night and I was like sitting on their row and I was just leaning down and look (laughs) every once in a while. My brother would be like crying and he'd be crying at parts that were like hilarious. I'm like, you're not supposed to be crying there. I'm like, why are you crying there? And then Charles would nudge him and then uh, Charles would look at me and then he'd give me the thumbs up. And so they they really, really loved it. Well, I think I know a lot of other people um, also really, really love this show. So we want to thank you for creating it. And we want to thank you for talking to us about it. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And thank you for joining us. We hope you'll come back next time and that you'll consider supporting this show and all the other Broadway radio podcasts with a contribution via our Patreon page. That's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You can find the page and some extras at patreon.com slash Broadway Radio.